passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This is Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. It's time to awaken an entire nation. I'll be a dog till I die. Yeah. Between the hedges, look it fly. Yeah. 90,000 in the stands, I'ma do my dance, make it look fine. Yeah. Coach, put me in the game. Yeah. UGA, yeah, the name. Yeah. yeah, the offense gonna turn up, but the defense gonna win us the game. Here's your host, Corey Burton. All right, happy Friday. Welcome to the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcasting network for professionals. Joining me is my co-host, Israel Troop, and from Believe in Vanderbilt Football podcast, Matthew Perkins and Ryan Seymour. Gentlemen, how's it going? Going well. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for being here. No one, call, no one calls me Matthew, so this is uh, this is strange. <laughs> yeah, Matthew Perkins. I had to be all official. Um so you can find our show at Believe in Dogs on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find me at Coach Burton thirty six, Israel at Troopstar twenty eight. Matt, I'll start with you. Where can we find all of your shows and your personal social well, media? Shoot. Uh, well, uh, you can find all of our Believe in Vandy stuff at Believe in Vandy. Instagram, Twitter. Um, uh, we got a Facebook page. Uh, we got a YouTube page. Uh, we out there uh, on Twitter. I'm at underscore Perco underscore. And uh, my Instagram is private, so I'm not giving that out. There you go. <laughs> Man, you're going to see us on the radio soon. We're going to be we're shooting for the stars here, Corey. We're going to be go, radio, TV, ESPN. They're going to be calling us soon. You know, I just might want to watch out all your listeners. Just be just be on the lookout for, for Matt and I. Just. There just you call go. Yes. Yeah, right uh, speaking of the radio, you can also find me every Badgers game day on uh, ninety-seven point three, <laughs> the game in Milwaukee, all uh, streaming on iHeartRadio all across the world. Matt, if you don't watch out, we can do a whole show of just you plugging all your appearances. I, so, I, I only I only host and produce three podcasts. So only uh, that's no, it. He, that's all. <laughs> he, he's only a man three. of many talents. And, only uh, you three. Can, watch out. Only three. I know, right? You can find uh, you can find Matt and I. Uh, we joined forces on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. We're in our sixth season. Yeah, so it's a uh, it, lot lot of great stuff going on uh, between the four of us. Uh, you never know; all four of us might be on a. Uh, we might replace the whole crew on Thinking Out Loud on the SEC Network. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm holding out for that. So, man, uh, let's get it. Ryan, if you know some, if you have some contacts at ESPN, let's uh, let's make this thing happen. But uh, before we do that, uh, this show is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The NFL season is in full swing. The college season, well, it's kind of in full swing. Uh, you might be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. You guys got any good gambling stories? Any any uh, any bets that you've hit lately, Ryan? Uh, not not necessarily. Um any bets that I've hit lately. As far as some good gambling stories, I was up in a little city called Cleveland, Ohio back in the day. My favorite gambling story has to be when I was with my man, man Money Manziel, and we were up at the uh, Horseshoe Horseshoe uh, Casino up there at the high limits table, and I watched my man Manziel bring in 100 stacks large on the craps table one night. That's, oh, that's got to be one of the craziest nights I've ever witnessed is my man Money Manziel bringing in hundred stacks on the uh on the uh, on the dice <laughs> good lord man how much did he Bar- walk out Bar- barkley was in there it was wild man it was a wild night barkley was throwing stacks johnny was matching him it was uh it was a hell of an evening that's probably my my favorite gambling story uh, I, I i typically don't do sports betting but as far as uh catching me in the casino man i love <laughs> shooting crafts blackjack 
Um, I played in three different cities that had casinos in them, and I could not wait to get uh, get, to get traded from those three cities. <laughs> blow all your earnings there, right? <laughs> That's right. I know you're a bit of a blackjack player. I love blackjack. I, I play extremely small sta- uh, stakes. I'm not dropping 100 stacks by any stretch, but um, I'm, I'm doing the dollar bets, uh, just trying to make <laughs> a little money and kill a little time. So. I love blackjack. You're gonna have to. I love craps, but I have no idea what I'm doing. So you're gonna have to. Oh, you're gonna have to tutor easy, me. Man. Oh, I love craps. I love craps. It's my favorite. Just don't bet on the big stuff. You see these big combats in the in the field. Those mm-hmm. are all sucker bets, man. You got the little, the little. That's what you got to be betting on the little stuff. Yeah. But uh, it's okay. a lot of fun, man. Once you get pass the line bets, baby. Pass line bets. Just, are just ask the pass line. Back it up. Get mm-hmm. you a couple yeah. hard ways. You know, parlay them suckers. Um. Ask the dealer, man. If you don't know what you're doing, just ask the dealer. They'll help you out. But we'll, this is not the the bet podcast. This is the football podcast. So we'll get back yes. on subject here. <laughs> so speaking of speaking of betting, Israel, uh, a brand new game uh, out of our uh, footprint, out of our SEC footprint. Uh, Coastal Carolina is now taking on uh, BYU. Uh, that game is set. Uh, BYU is ten point road favorites. Uh, are you are you buying that? Or are you taking uh, Coastal Carolina? I don't know. Um, I'm going to wait till tomorrow and see what that game looks like. But uh, BYU has been playing some dang good football, and so is Coast Carolina. Um, I think it just depends on what defense shows up um, and who can stop who tomorrow night. So um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think game day is still going to be there. So um, it's going to be an exciting time. It's a great time to be at Coast Carolina right now because they are doing it up, baby. Oh, absolutely. And uh, your friend is coaching tight ends there, right? Yes, uh, Malcolm Dixon. Um, he was a freshman uh, when I was a senior, and uh, him and my sister are really good friends. So um, he is now coaching tight ends there. Um, came from um, Charleston Southern um, and worked his way up. He's been doing a really good job. Their tight ends are, are pretty dang good out there at Coast Carolina. So I'll be rooting for him tomorrow night. Absolutely, man. Well, uh, big news from your alma mater, Tift County High School, uh, 2022 defensive lineman, uh, Tyre West, uh, is committed to uh, to the dogs. Yes, he is. Um, I found out that morning. Um, mm-hmm. That's when I texted you and told you to keep it on the hush before everything dropped. And um, I'm really excited. Um, I'm still kind of upset that we didn't get Rashad Bateman. Um, we're a little late on that one, but this makes yeah. up for it. I mean, he is a phenomenal athlete. Um, he's the first five-star to come out of Tiff County. He's bringing attention to that program. Um, he, and he's a great kid, phenomenal kid. Um, so I'm looking forward to uh, seeing him wearing the red and black here soon. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait for him to wreak havoc on the defensive line. But you can't bet on recruiting just yet. So from game spreads, totals, to team and player and coaching props, bet online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. That never closes. Again, Ryan, you're going to teach me how to play craps. But uh, So head to betonline.ag today. Take full advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. Sign up today. That's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, let's get into the show, guys. Um, some big news dropped earlier today. Um, a game that we were going to preview uh, is no longer happening. Uh, I don't. It's postponed for now. I don't know if it will ever be rescheduled. But uh, I was looking forward to seeing just kind of uh, some more reps with JT Daniels and um, and just to kind of see what, what Vanderbilt had uh, on the table. Uh, but the big news from last week uh, with Derek Mason getting fired, Ryan, how do you feel about that? What uh, what direction does the program need to go in? Well, I hope that we learn from our, our previous mistakes. These past seven years has been a really, really hard, uh, hard to watch as a fan. Uh, it definitely was a long time coming, um, you know, Obviously, this season's a little bit different than most with with COVID. Everyone, you know, every single team is just trying to navigate through this year the best they can. Uh, unfortunately, Derek Mason has has uh, has left this program in the worst state that it's ever been. And I've I talked about this a little bit last night mm-hmm. with one of our guests. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to see how how Vanderbilt is going to recover from the detrimental. Uh, program that that Mason has has left us as a fan base. We've had, I think, another six guys opt out this week. We've had over thirty guys this year opt out. Um, I just don't see how that happens, and I don't see how uh, you know an athletic director let it get to this point. I think that's what I'm most frustrated about. Certainly, I'm definitely thrilled that we're making you know steps towards the right direction. I keep trying to focus on the positive and and the big out. You know, obviously looking to the future, but I'm still you know I'm still a little bit sour. 
I guess, as you could say, looking back at these last past seasons. You know, obviously, we came off of Coach Franklin, who's now at Penn State. We, we came off of the biggest high that Vanderbilt has ever been in. We hire a uh, defensive-minded coach out of Stanford, Derek Mason. You know, the first two seasons, obviously – you know, we give the guys some slack, like everybody. You give your, you give a coach a few years to kind of mm-hmm. get things going, get his own recruiting class in here. But it just was a consistent snowball downhill. Um, hadn't had a winning season in seven years. Um, we got guys dropping like flies throughout the program, COVID or not. I mean, I don't know. Um, we don't even have, I think we may have six, five or six D linemen total on the roster right now. It's, it's no surprise that this game is postponed due to Vanderbilt's you know, just lack of being able to uh, field a team at this point. So obviously with all the negativity that, you know, was surrounding the program the last few seasons, we're definitely trying to keep a a positive outlook, you know, as we move forward. With that being said, we talked a little bit last night about who we hope to bring in, I guess, you know, as some uh, potential coaches, everyone can kind of, you know, it's not really sure who they're going to pick. Everyone can, you know, take their own guesses on who they think might come in. But I think we're hoping for a coach that um, is going to bring in, you know, some some uh, some much needed um, umph, I guess you could say. We need to get the program going. It was just so flat. There was no nothing exciting about it. I hope that we can bring in a coach that's going to bring some new life, uh, maybe a coach that – this is it for him. Maybe not a coach that's going to be up and coming. We talked about some younger guys could be, a, you know, a possible potential. You know, I think that's kind of what a lot of coaches maybe look at Vanderbilt as being is just a stepping stone program or a stepping stone opportunity for a lot of these guys who might come in, you know, find a, a year or two of success and then looking for that next big opportunity. Um, those are not bad options. You know, certainly would, you know, wouldn't mind taking a gamble on a guy like that, maybe a younger coordinator who's just looking to prove himself. Uh, I'd also think we should maybe look, you know, possibly look at coaches or interview guys um, who are maybe had some success in lower divisions, maybe some guys who have been in some smaller conferences, you know, already uh, proven winners. Um, and Matt has a few examples of, of coaches like that. Um, so, you know, uh, there's really no telling where the program might go. It can only go up from here. Obviously, this past week has just been crazy, crazy going on uh, with guys dropping like flies. Mason being relieved of his duties. We had the first female uh, kicking the power five who was supposed to, again, kick this week. A lot of a lot of stuff going on, good and bad, but certainly is a lot of attention on, on Vanderbilt as a whole. And I don't think uh, that attention really helped the case of Derek Mason. Maybe that's the reason why. Uh, Candace Lee decided to part ways with Derek when there was so much attention this week on on the program. Yeah, I just want to reiterate a, a couple things that Ryan said. Uh, first of all, this is a long time coming. Derek Mason, everything we know about him, very good man, right? Very good man. No one, no one's. This is not a. This is not besmirching Derek Mason as a human being, as a as a person, as someone who cares about his players. This is uh, just about the results on the field and at the end of the day that's what matters right it's results it's sec football israel you know the only thing that matters are results oh yeah it it doesn't matter if you can be a saint but if you're a saint that goes two and ten every year it doesn't matter so secondly i think that this was an actual power move by candace sorry lee if she'd wait to the end of the season to do this I think she loses her job too. She preemptively fires him before Deermeyer can fire her and Mason and promote the current um, like deputy AD. I don't know exactly what his title is. Guy brought over from Louisiana Tech, up and coming guy in sort of the athletic administrative world. As far as future coaches goes, I'm a big fan of Billy Napier. He's he would be my first choice. He's the current coach at Louisiana or Louisiana Lafayette, whatever you want to call them, the Raging Cajuns. I think that he's someone who has a lot of moxie. He's brought that program up from the ashes. That program was in terrible shape in a couple of years. He's turned them into probably the best team in the Sun Belt, one of the best teams in the Sun Belt. You guys mentioned Coastal Carolina earlier. Jamie Chadwell is a name we've seen a lot of. He's someone who'd be interesting, I think, but I'm not sure if he's a flash in the pan or if he is someone who could really grow like that. A lot of people around the program are really interested in Will Healy. The thing I would be concerned about, and this is something that we talked with Jake Bernstein about on our uh, episode yesterday, was the fact that, you, you, you know, use someone who wants to use Vandy as a stepping stone is you're playing with fire. 
And I think that Will Healy would just use Vanderbilt as a stepping stone. He mentioned Barry Odom. He mentioned Barry Odom was the first guy, name out of Jake's mouth that he said in our podcast. You can go listen to him. We talked about a bunch of potential guys. I think Barry Odom's a really mm. interesting choice. Now, he's already been a head coach in the SEC, right, at Mizzou, had mixed results there. You've seen what he's done, though, with this Arkansas defense in his first year there. Even as interim head coach, uh, when Pittman was out with COVID, he's, you know, he, he's done pretty well. He seems like someone who has a blue-collar mentality, which is really what Vanderbilt needs, is that, is that blue-collar mentality. The, you know, I, I'm just going to completely crib off of what Jake was saying yesterday, you know, lunch pail kind of guy, right? Brings his lunch pail, puts in the time, puts in the work, and sees Vanderbilt as an opportunity for them to not, not just use as a stepping stone, but to really stay and thrive at. Now, Israel, we talked about uh, on our show, we talked about we threw some candidates out there. And, you know, Jamie Chadwell, do you think he's a flash in the pan? I mean, from from what you hear from your friend and, you know, kind of what we see, um, I, I don't think he is. But uh, what, what about you? Do you think he's a flash in the pan or do you think he has some uh, staying power? I think he has some staying power. Uh, they love him. Um, they, the, the, even the, the old alumni, um, I have a couple of friends at uh, Coast Carolina in the early years. They they love him. Um, they they think he's their guy. Um, so I think he'd be willing to forward to seeing what Billy Napier does. Um, you know, we've seen his body of work. We saw what he's done at Louisiana. Um, and I and I think the main thing that Vane needs to do right now is find somebody who's going to stay. You know, um, I love Coach Franklin, but I, but I think. Franklin used Bandy as a stepping stone to get something bigger, and which he did. He's at Penn State now. So, if if Bandy wants to be good, in my opinion, they need to find somebody who's going to be there, who's going to stay, and be at Bandy for 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 the long haul. You know, and get this program back um, to where it was. Because I always I talk about it all the time. One thing about Bandy, they're always going to play hard. Um, they're, they're they're smart players, obviously, because they're at Vanderbilt. But I mean, that the the competitive edge that Vandy used to have. I mean, when we used to play Vandy. I mean, it was a toss up sometimes who was going to win between Jordan and Vandy. You know, because Vandy was just was just that good. You know, and and now, um, like you guys alluded to earlier, you know, that flash that they they're being there to stay and to get recruiting back, to get more excitement um, at Vandy. So um, that's the first thing I would look at if I'm the AD is who's going to be here and who's going to stay here. And not just be here for you know three four years and then just dip out. Now, Ryan, uh, with the facilities the, the way that they are and and being kind of landlocked in downtown Nashville, you know what are some things that Vandy can do with the facilities that they have? I know the the obvious one is the stadium upgrade, uh, playing in a, a advanced high school stadium. Uh, there's high school stadiums in Texas that are that are nicer than. Uh, whatever y'all are calling the Dudley um, there at, at Vanderbilt. So um, aside from the obvious stadium upgrade, what, what are some things that need to happen facility-wise to kind of get you guys at least closer to on par with recruiting? Um, so the last, uh, I guess the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, we've been in the same building. Oh, that building's been there for a long time. That's called McGugan Center. And they've just been kind of putting Band-Aids on a, uh, on a broken leg there for so long now, just kind of patching up areas where they can and unfortunately kind of as you mentioned you know we are kind of landlocked in the city of nashville we don't have the luxury i guess of maybe perhaps living in a an actual college town where you know you might be able to to locate a few areas to to perhaps put in some new facilities um you know unfortunately that's the nature that's the the business that we we live in these days is these 16 7 year old 17 year old kids are coming into these programs and, and going to these Georgias, these Alabamas, and are looking at these facilities and come to a school like Vanderbilt. And yeah, just like you mentioned, I mean, we're decades behind behind the eight ball here. So it definitely is a, a huge disadvantage uh, for us from a recruiting aspect. Um, you know, from a, from a school perspective, that's really the, our, it's been our saving grace over the last, you know, however many years is that the school really sells itself. Obviously, you come to a school like Vandy, you're not only thinking about your the four years of your college experience, but you're thinking about, you know, the next 30 years of your professional work experience. And that's really what, you know, these coaches have been trying to sell, along with living in the city of Nashville. I mean, the, the town is exploding. The last several years, it's just been absolutely um, real estate's going through the roof. So 
exciting, exciting town to live in, but you're absolutely right. We, we have to start being able to uh, make some adjustments to, to kind of catch up, I guess, with the rest of the SEC programs. And I don't even know if we'll ever be able to catch up, but maybe even be able to at least, uh, you know, I, I don't know, compete, compete to some extent, but we, we're definitely going to need a coach that's going to come in here and is going to bring life back to the program. And what I mean by that is, is someone who's going to change the culture at Vanderbilt. I think James Franklin did an absolute fantastic job of that. Um, he came in, he was, uh, he, he was going to the frat houses, the sorority houses, you know, walking in the classrooms, making his presence throughout campus, just getting the student body to buy in, making the city buy in, you know, going to luncheons, having golf course or having uh, golf outings. Uh, we need someone who's just going to bring that winning culture back to Vanderbilt, which is what we had there for a little bit with, with James Franklin. We lost that when Mason, when Mason came in. So that's really, really what I, what I hope to see. And as we get, you know, the fans back and as we get the culture to change back at Vanderbilt, that's just going to be a, a much easier sell to the uh, administration. Vanderbilt's biggest hurdle that they've had to overcome over the last several years is getting the administration to buy in. Certainly I could sit here to answer your question. Like, absolutely. I love to see them build a brand new $30 million facility in the, in the, in the practice field right behind Magoog. And we have a big practice field back there. Like I love to see them, you know, put a brand new 30, 40, hundred million dollar facility back there. Unfortunately, I just don't see the administration buying into that, uh, to that cell. So, you know, of course, I'd like to have the luxuries that a lot of these other SEC programs have. It's just a matter of getting the administration to completely buy in. How do we do that? I think we got to bring in a coach that's going to bring life back to the program, change the culture, just like Coach Franklin did back when his, you know, his tenure at Vanderbilt, and, and make the fans excited about Vanderbilt football again. I think that's the only way we're going to be able to get the administration to buy in and say, you know what? I think we can actually, you know, prof make a profit off of this. I think there's a lot of a lot of great things that, that Vanderbilt football can bring to this community, to the athletes, to and to the rest of the SEC. I mean, I'm tired of being the laughing stock of the program. I mean, it has been a tough several years. Us as a fan, former player, you know, you're almost ashamed, you know, when someone asks, where'd you play college ball at? I'm like, uh, you know, Vanderbilt. And they're like, oh, God. <laughs> so uh, they say, oh, you must be smart. They never say like, oh, you were a good football player. They say, oh, you must be educated. And I want them to say, you must have been a good football player. So I'm tired of that narrative of, uh, of Vanderbilt being in the bottom of the barrel. But um, that was kind of a long answer. But in order to get those upgrades, in order to ever compete with some of these other larger schools, we have to be able to get the administration to buy in and, and get the rest of the community to buy in first. Well, and that actually brings me to a question I want to ask Israel. Um, speaking of facilities at Vanderbilt, did you ever get to ex did you get to experience the Vanderbilt away locker rooms? Yes, I did. Um, it's, it's right under the stadium. Um, we we were dang near shoulder to shoulder. Uh, we got little cubicles, little lockers in there that, that, that we were next to, which made wanting to beat Vanderbilt that much more important. Um, so, obviously, you want to put the, the visiting team in as much discomfort as possible, but not to the point that's kind of disrespectful if you ask me. Um, yeah, because like Florida didn't even use them. Like it, 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 when they came, no, when they, when they came this past to the, the past, the past game, um, Florida literally did not even use the locker room cause they're so bad. Now part of that is COVID, right? Cause you know, you're so cramped in there at various yeah. locker rooms, but like, it's ridiculous. I mean, they're getting dressed at the freaking team hotel. Like that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Man. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, you know, and I've. I, I've I've posted enough on Twitter about being embarrassed, so I, I I can I can shut my trap here about it. But it's it really is just a sometimes it's like it's just an embarrassment, man. And like the the facilities, I mean, like you know, Corey, you and I have gone down there to hang out with Corey Phillips a couple times, and mm -hmm. you know, walking around with him, and like some of the stuff's solid, but like a lot of it is just it feels like Texas high school, right? Like yeah. it's and then like I see like you know on. There was a picture today uh, on online that I saw that are you familiar with Archbishop Hoban High School in Ohio, Corey? Uh, I've heard of it, but it's no, an Akron. It's, it's powerhouse in Akron. Yeah, their weight room is like just just circles around absolute circles around Vandy's weight room. You know, and I was talking to I was talking to a guy on the team earlier this year. He's like, yeah, the AC was out in the weight room for two weeks end of August, early September, and they didn't even get it fixed. 
and it's just like it's it's August in Nashville. Like those kids are gonna like literally die in there because it's so hot and humid. I mean, it's it's not South Georgia. I know it's not Damn South Georgia. Damn, has got a nicer Ryan. weight room than Vandy has. <laughs> yeah, the only thing missing between the, the AC like, out in the weight room is the is the gnats. Yeah, the sand gnats. Good lord, yeah, people don't want to know. I talked about that on the podcast. I literally talked mm-hmm. about this. People don't know what sand gnats are, and I because I when I moved to Nashville, I was telling people I was like, you know, there's really not a lot of bugs here, and people are like, are you kidding me? Oh my god, it's so there's so many bugs. I'm like, y'all don't even know the half of what a sand gnat is, do you? Like. You can't even sit still for more than like two seconds with shorts on um, during the summer there in, in South Georgia. It's miserable. Um, anyway, look, I'll take I'll take regular gnats here in Valdosta, Georgia, over the sand gnats over there on the coast because they bite. The sand gnats over there on the coast they yes. bite. The regular gnats here in Valdosta they don't bite. They just they're just annoying. So if if you really want to see what living's like, come down here in South Georgia about. <laughs> About May, about mid-May, and you get to see it. Stay from mid-May to, to, to July, and you get to realize real South Georgia living. Yep. Ooh, yeah, and that gnat line is a real thing, man, because once you get south of Macon, it, it's, it, those gnats are like, man, we ain't going you past You get Macon. closer to Florida, We're man. Good. You get those marsh. You know, you start getting to the swamp, Okefenokee-ish. Yeah. It is terrible, man, terrible down here. But uh, I'm jealous of – Man, I'm, I'm the outcast. I'm the outcast Yankee yes. podcast right now. Like, you know, yeah. shoot, growing up in Vermont, like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't know. The woods in Maine, the woods in Maine are a very, very special place when it comes to mosquitoes. Uh-oh. We Uh-oh. might be losing Israel here in a minute. On that South uh, Georgia, that. Oh, yeah, a lot of snow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if if we get a if we get an even threat of snow, it's like all right, we're canceling school. But yeah, no, I, I grew up where Ryan's living right now, man. Uh, sort of, well, just just east of there uh, in Fayetteville. But um, yeah, we uh, yeah we it, it was nowhere near. I mean, the summers. It, I mean, it's hot Atlanta for a reason. Um, but uh, we 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 had some mosquitoes. We we had our our ski- mosquito situation was about as bad as y'all's gnat situation. They were extremely annoying and, and, and plentiful. But I played plenty of baseball tournaments down in uh, down in South Georgia. We we would always go to the Jekyll Jam. Yeah. So we play on the in the in the Jack the Jekyll Island uh, mm-hmm. baseball tournament, and we'd stop at we'd stop at Bruton Parker uh, College to play uh, whoever we wanted to play there uh, from from around there. Like, I think we played Wayne County one year, uh, and then the other year I think we played. I think we played Benedictine there, uh, but okay. if we didn't, we'd we'd end up seeing Benedictine in the tournament. But um, so we'd play there, and and you you're running, and you know you feel full after the game because you know as you're running, you're you're ingesting all of these sand mats. So it's like you it's like you're getting your your protein, your protein as you're playing, yep. man. It's I, I I do not envy that for for sure. So, um, but yeah, just going back to the whole Vandy piece. I mean, you know, with the recruiting stuff. I mean, you got a good sell with the with the quarterback situation in uh, in in, in uh, Ken Seals. I mean, he he's got to be the future, right? And and so it's uh, it, you know, I, I I'm in I've been thoroughly impressed. I've been on the the Ken Seals bandwagon for for quite some time. So, um, it, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure to watch him at least, and and kind of watch his offense sort of progress. I, I guess you could call it that. But you know, as a team culture, that kind of affects things like that. But uh, Ryan, what uh, you know, playing for for James Franklin and making the transition from a uh, from coach to coach to coach, you know what uh, you know what was that like? You know what what are what are these players looking to expect from uh, with this new transition? Well, you know, I I uh, I had a few different head coaches in my tenure at Vandy. I had Bobby Johnson, who had spent years at Vandy uh, prior to that. He was at Furman, um, and he stepped down and. And uh, Robbie Caldwell, the offensive line coach at Clemson, was interim head coach there. Just a good old, good old boy. Um, and then James Franklin came in. So um, I really kind of had, you know, only really one, I guess you could say, true, true coaching change there. I mean, Coach Caldwell, even though he was a head coach, he still had, was performing offensive line duties, and he it never really seemed like he was truly in that head coach role, I guess. But what to expect, you know? 
it is tough. It is going to be really, really tough for these for these coaches to not only keep their recruits that they have now, but also being able to, you know, recruit future guys uh, to come and commit to the program. Another point, you know, a point that we keep bringing up is that if I'm a recruit, you know, am I going to be looking at this head coach as well? This could be a stepping stone for this coach. Um, you know, is he going to be here my whole four years? Um, and unfortunately, a lot of these young guys get get stuck on a coach. And hopefully any young person that's listening right now is being recruited. Don't get stuck on a coach. Right. Because coaches will come and go. You know, I know some of these guys build great relationships with the guys who recruit them. And, you know, although they may seem like your best friend, you know, if you don't commit or if you don't go to school there, man, I promise you probably won't hear much from them the rest of your rest of your career. So don't get don't get hung up on a coach. You know, you hope that a recruit can look at other aspects of of the university and find a, a major that they feel comfortable with, find a university that fits their needs, whatever that might be close to home, a certain educational program that they like, you know, maybe it was a mom or dad's alma mater, you know, make that decision for themselves. Not don't get glued to one coach or another. I would, I would I certainly give that advice, but you know, this could be a great opportunity for some guys to come in and get, you know, immediate playing time. Um, that could be a benefit to some guys. I look at that as a negative thing. I don't know. That's just me. I I've always was like a big fan of like the dude, if you, if you can redshirt, please redshirt. Like I recommend that to anybody, you know, um, unless you're just an absolute dog who's going to be drafted in three years. You're like, a, you know, maybe like a top guy coming out of high school, but, uh, you know, I, I recommend everyone redshirt. So you could look at it a couple different ways, Corey. I think, you know, these kids can expect a lot of changes to be made. I think a new coach is going to come in. You are going to see some initial um, changes to the program. Obviously, this, there's going to be a completely new staff. There is going to probably be negotiations with Candace about facility upgrades. I mean, if you're a head coach that is worth anything, I don't think you could come in and not have some sort of list of demands on what you're going to expect to see in the program during your tenure in these next several years. So hopefully they're, they're saving up as much as they can for this new budget, for this new head coach. So it's definitely going to be an exciting time. I hope that kids look at this as a, a positive thing. Um, it has to be It has to be for these guys who is being recruited by Mason. You know, if you're a senior right now and you've already committed to Vanderbilt, I hope you're looking at this as like, I'm really, you should be really, really pumped, right? Really, really pumped that you're not coming, that, that you're not stepping into the situation that these guys who are seniors have been in the last five years or seven years, you know, that Mason's been there. So hopefully these guys are looking at this as a positive and with a positive outlook. Uh, there's going to be exciting things to come. You can, we can really go only go up from here. As you know, as sad as that is to say, we can really only go up. So um, hopefully that answers the question what to expect. You can expect a lot better things than what's going on now, I guess you could say. And, um, you know, just look at this as an opportunity to come into a program to where you can say, hey, I was part of I was part of the, the recruiting class that changed it all, man, that changed it and got Vanderbilt back on the up, you know. So I hope that's what kids and I hope that's what these recruits can do. Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, you know, I was listening to to y'all show. I mean, I I I, I listened to just about every episode um, of y'all show, and I think you guys do a tremendous job. So you know, I, I heard you uh, you know all your stories about Coach Galt, and you know the the very first workout um, was it really that yes. bad? Yes. So we had I never experienced it. Like I guess you could say a lot of people call them mat drills. I think that's kind of like the universal term for, the for like word. the five thirty yeah. in the morning, just like throw up session workouts yeah. we really had never had any of, any of those before franklin's before franklin's uh coaching staff had come in and those guys they're like this is this is the standard stuff like this is the norm at, at maryland this is the norm in the nfl like you guys are not used to to doing these basic mat drills like people were shocked when they when these coaches got there you know uh two-hour lifts, you know, extra extra time in the meeting room, staying late with the coach to get extra help. Like, that was not the norm at Vandy. The norm at Vandy was just, like, this kind of, I don't want to say, like, jolly party attitude, but it was – guys were definitely not there for the right reasons. Guys were there to get their, get their right. degrees, you know, maybe coast through, win a few games. And, I, you know, I really can't say that a lot of these guys – their focus was was 100% on football. Franklin came in. 
if you were not a hundred percent bought in with football, your ass was gone. Like, I mean, he was kicking, like if you could not commit <laughs> yeah. and buy in to what, you know, to what he was feeding us, then uh, you weren't going to make it. But yeah, I mean, the, the workouts really were that hard, but you know, by my second year, um, and by these guys who were seniors who were fresh when I was a senior, this was, it was nothing to them. And that's when, you know, that's how you become successful on the football field. You make practices so hard and work out so hard that the games come easy, you know, and that's truly, yeah. that is, that is the truth. I mean, you know, you should be able to coast through football games versus getting through some of these practices. They should be so much harder than when you, that when come game day, you're, you're, you're ready to go. But yeah, I think Frank Franklin and coach Gall, the, the training room, uh, the, the, the strength coach, if people don't, if people don't know who uh, Dwight Galt is, uh, did a fabulous job with the program of getting guys in shape. We were getting stronger throughout the year. You know, come October, come November, this time of the year, we were hitting our peak as far as our strength. You know, we were going up every single week on bench and squat and cleans versus, you know, kind of NFL from NFL, NFL perspective, you're kind of coasting, right? You're, you're trying to eliminate soft mm -hmm. tissue injuries. You know, you're making sure that guys aren't pulling hamstrings or guys are not going to be hurting themselves in the weight room midseason. It's a lot of it's a lot more recovery, you know, yoga, uh, higher reps, less weight kind of workouts. But, you know, at 20 years old, 19 years old, you can push a young man a lot further than you can than you can maybe a 28 29 30 year old who is in his like eighth or ninth year in the nfl so different strategy but i really liked coach galt's kind of process of thinking that we're going to get stronger during the season and not just maintain yeah i know uh i know how important that is to, to have a great philosophy like that coach sinclair at uga when he came in uh with, with kirby uh there was a huge push of you know let's you know, let let's get creative with the weight with the weight program. Let's let's find new ways to to build mass to to retain flexibility and explosiveness. And I think he did a good job. If you look at some of the players and the transformations that they've made from when they came in to to now, I mean, you look at a guy like Arian Smith, a true freshman who caught his first pass was a touchdown against South Carolina. He's coming off injury, but um, the, the transformation he was a lanky. I mean, lanky at best. Uh, wide receiver and then when he came in now he's got a little bit of muscle mass on him and and so you know that's that's an important thing uh for for uh, any program is is that's a i i say that number is one. number one higher for a head coach strength that and conditioning is, you're absolutely you, you right. have to get that absolutely right absolutely right that is who you, you have to get that right 99 of your time with as a college athlete it's actually not your position coach and it's not the head coach it is the training room staff, your, your strength coaches. That is who you spend 99% of your time, your co your college mm -hmm. uh, career with is your strength coach. You, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, you have to you have to get that right. And then you have to get your O-line and D-line coaches right. Obviously, your coordinators, yep. uh, that's important. But your, your coordinators have to have a be tapped into a great network, and, and you have to build from the front back. Obviously, you got to get your trigger man with with the, with the quarterback, but then then you gotta then you gotta work on the work on the big boys. And I think Kirby had the right idea, you know. Although the the bully ball is kind of gone out of style now, and I think he's kind of realized that, and they're, now they're working their way uh, out from bully ball now that they solidified the offensive line. But um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see kind of how it how it progresses um, down in Athens uh, with with their quarterback situation and their receiver situation and, and just kind of what's going to happen there. Um, but uh, being a Vandy player, uh, being a South Georgia kid, uh, you know, did you ever go to any uh, Georgia games as a, as a fan? And then what was it like coming in as a, as a player? I was definitely a big Georgia fan growing up. Obviously, I went to Camden County. Like, everyone in my school was wearing red. I was not recruited by Mark Rigged. I had a love, I had a love hate there for a while, man. When I when I first got recruited and went to Vandy, you know, I was obviously thrilled to be in the SEC, but I always had a huge chip on my shoulder that I was not recruited by Georgia. I, I would have loved to be, you know, a student athlete there. Unfortunately, I was a six foot four, two hundred and twenty pound defensive end coming out of high school who maybe had a couple of sacks and maybe had the right build, I guess you could say, but unfortunately hadn't proved himself yet enough in high school to maybe receive an offer from, you know, a UGA or maybe perhaps a, a larger SEC program. Uh, I came into Vandy and, um, you know, they took one look at me and decided that I think he'd be, 
think you'd be better off on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And I'm so <laughs> thrilled yeah. that that happened. I, you know, I told myself, oh, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be a D lineman. I told Matt, like my goal was like, I'm going to sack Tim Tebow. You know, that was like going to be a highlight of my <laughs> highlight of my college career, but got moved off the line early and I'm so glad it happened. No, no more pursuing, you know, no more, <laughs> no more having to like, run down the field when the ball's thrown kind of deal. You just kind of, they for, they got to force feed a, you and you, you were not little, against that like 15 yard trickle trot down the, down the, down the field after the ball's <laughs> thrown, man, it was great. Uh, all you can eat, got my meal plans yeah. bumped up, but man, I was super jelly that, uh, that I did not get an opportunity to, you know, to go to Georgia. I mean, I love Vanny's you know, obviously wouldn't have done anything different, but yeah, for, to answer your question, big Georgia fan growing up, loved, uh, you know, love watching, love watching the dogs play on Saturday. I still, I still keep up. I mean, if all the teams in the SEC, you know, I definitely still watch out for, for Georgia when they play on Saturday. I love watching their O-line. You guys got some great guys. I forget what, who, I don't know who your left guard is, but that guy is a beast. He's a, I think it's 64 maybe is his number or 60 set. Uh, 54. 54. That's Justin Schaefer. Yeah. He's a senior. Justin Schaefer. He is. I, mean, uh, I love watching him though, man. He's kind of, he's battled through he's some injuries. Stiff. But uh, he's a big, yeah. That's all those injuries, cat, man. Uh, I've seen some Instagram yeah, he pictures. Is. I'm like, that's a big dude, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, you want to talk about a big dude? Now it's uh, it's Ben Cleveland, the right guard, seventy four. Uh, he is a North Georgia like Tacoa you know, Mountains uh, kind of guy. I mean, he comes out. He's like six eight. Maybe that's you know, I think that's who I'm talking about. Maybe the right big barrel I think chest. That's who I'm talking yeah. about. Because this guy He is a mountain of a man. Yeah. Guy, and I feel like he's been there forever too. Yeah. I think that's who I'm talking yeah. about. Because no, no, I that, remember watching the O line, I was like, I forget what guard it was, if it was left or right. I was like, one of these guards is like a freaking tank, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's probably Ben Cleveland you're thinking of. He uh you would probably if he if he got to choose, uh you'd probably find him in a deer stand if there's a deer stand that's that can him. hold him. That's exactly who um, I'm talking about. Yeah, he uh, he on the off week he's like, man, I was fired up, man. I got to go hunting and fishing, and it, you know when Kirby gave when when Coach Smart gave us the the day off, so he was uh man, he was thrilled. Georgia's always Georgia's always had these just big burly like country boys, man. Like that sounds like Wisconsin. That sounds like yeah. Wisconsin. I mean, our the Wisconsin starting left guard has a white tail buck tattooed on his entire upper left arm. His entire is just a giant buck. Like, I feel yeah. like, go ahead, and, uh, go ahead, Corey. I was going to say, it, it, he, he's made it his mission now uh, to take JT Daniels on his first hunting trip. Awesome. Yeah, I look at uh, I look at Bama's O-line, Florida's O-line. Totally, I just feel like it's a totally different group of guys in the O-line room when you look at Georgia, man. Every year in and year out, I just yeah. think those guys um, – are just guys that you would you would catch, man, out there in the deer stand. Guys that you'd probably catch out there on the boat, you know, throwing a line in the water, and uh-huh. those make the best old linemen, man. Those those guys grew up out there, you know, riding them tractors, you know, plowing those fields, corn fed boys. Yeah, uh, those are the guys you. Those are the they guys just love to want. sweat, they love to get nasty, love to just like get in your face. Yeah. Um, hell yeah, I, I uh, I'm friends with a. One old lineman, he was there these years ago. Austin Long, big old guy, yeah, six six, six five, yeah, three thirty, just a big old country boy. He lives here in Atlanta, close mm-hmm. to me, and him and I are good friends. And uh, he's just a representation of what I think of every time I think of the of the Georgia offensive line, man. But uh, yeah, it, it's man, it, it's there's one there's one in every class. So it, it it's usually our center. That's the that's the big giant redneck, um, Ben Jones, David. Yeah, Andrews. I was gonna say Ben Jones, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, Ben Jones is actually an Alabama kid. Um, but he, yeah, no, he it's a, he, uh, he blocked for Zach Stacy in high school. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's that North Georgia, you know, hillbilly mountain mountain area. <laughs> I've been I mean, trying we got to use the, the right term, but Stevens yeah, County, you got it, hillbilly, Stevens redneck, County. Man, that's what that's what's <laughs> yeah. yeah, hillbilly, and then. Uh, I don't know what they call you guys down in uh, South Georgia. I hate to see what you guys call us Metro Atlanta kids. Well, we I think, mean, see, it's funny. I down guess. in South Georgia, anything north of Savannah, anything north of Savannah, like, oh, you, North Georgia, like Savannah, people like people think Macon is like South Georgia. If you live in Atlanta, you're like, Macon, oh, like South Georgia? Like, no. Yeah. Like, anything yeah. north of Savannah to us is like North Georgia. Like, oh, you're a Yankee. Like, you live in Atlanta? 
<laughs> that's probably true. I mean, seriously, that's what I'm there's so many. Like, oh man, the Yankees up there in Atlanta, you know, North Georgia. Come yeah. on down to South Georgia. That's why I don't. <laughs> oh yeah, that's why I don't have much of an accent because you know you grow up in Atlanta and there's not there's not a ton of accents around Atlanta. I mean, you know, obviously there's a few, but you know, you got uh, you got Boston, Chicago yeah. accents, New York accents. You've got people like from the West Coast, whatever accent that is. You know, you got your Midwestern accents. The all those people that come down here and live and mm-hmm. and uh, you know again, and then you got the South Georgia people who get. Uh, who 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 move up to Atlanta too, and you get all those accents mixed together, and and you know us uh, Metro Atlanta natives, we get some some of these like mutt type. I tell accents. you another thing, I was always jealous of, and the reason why I think UGA is just such a perfect perfect college for anyone who's making you know looking to make a decision. Hey, y'all, I freaking love Athens, man. Athens is so much yep. fun. <laughs> if you're, a, I mean, if, you, if yes, you're a, is. you know, if you're in high school or someone who's thinking about attending a, you know, a four-year university, man, take a look at Georgia because Athens is the, is the bomb. We would drive down from Nashville to go to Athens because Athens is a true college town, and that's one thing you kind of have a, uh-huh. kind of have a disadvantage of when you do come to Vandy or like a Georgia Tech. Like the school is right downtown in the city. So there is no like there is no college feel, I guess you could say. For instance, you go to a Tuscaloosa, you go to a Athens, like those towns, those towns Oxford, those towns are built around the university. And you know, as a college Uh athlete, dude, I can't imagine the love these guys got just going out and eating at the local diners, going out to watch a movie on Saturday. Like Uh these guys probably had I was so jealous of that college experience that these guys got to experience versus my experience living in the city. People don't know who you are, man. You're competing against Luke Bryan. You're competing against like Florida Georgia Line. Like they don't give a shit. You know, you went to Vandy, like you know. So, um, so that was kind of like yeah. Like I can I can guarantee that Ron Dane has never paid for a meal in his life in Madison. Like I, I can, can probably guarantee you Israel's never paid for a meal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think he got eaten up by the by the sand. I think he got carried away by the sand gnats. Um, so, oh, yeah, I was <laughs> what was your favorite NFL, NFL city? Favorite NFL city? What's your favorite? Well, yeah, I got yeah, I got a favorite city and I got a favorite team. My absolute favorite team that I played on had to be San Francisco 49ers when I was there in 2013 and 14. Great group of guys. Ended up becoming like best friends with like four or five of the eight O linemen that were there at the time. I had just come from Seattle and um, had a much different feel there in Seattle. I was a, still a rookie, and um, unfortunately, they're just—I don't know—they weren't as tight. When I got to when I got to San Fran, hey man, we're having dinner tonight at Staley's house, man. Oh, hey man, we're going over to John Goodwin's tonight, or hey man, we're going over to like so and so's house. I'm like, dude, this is this is what like feeling like an actual unit, like college like college program felt like, you know, in college, you know, your homies, you come in as freshmen, you spend four years together. You're like best friends. Like those are your best friends the rest of your life. The guys you play college ball with most of the time mm-hmm. when you get to the NFL, you know, it, and unfortunately it is a work environment is a business related, you know, type of deal. And unfortunately you just don't kind of build that relationship with, with some of these guys. Um, so San Francisco had to be by far my, my favorite team. Harbaugh was the man. Completely different coaching styles than, than Carroll. Carroll will rip his rip his assistants, you know, and, and seem like the good guy in front of all the players. Versus Harbaugh would literally stop practice mid snap, rip your ass, and then get going in front of everybody. Didn't care who it was. So very different coaching styles. Loved him that he just kind of called it like it was. Him and I are so good friends. He gave me the opportunity to go intern him in Michigan at UM. Uh, so loved, loved San Fran. Favorite city? I was in New York. I was in Dallas. Um, New York City was absolutely a blast. I actually lived with uh, Justin Pugh, left guard for the Cardinals now. Um, Justin and I lived together in a you know, like a townhouse in Hoboken that overlooked the city. Great, man. It's awesome. Dallas was great. You cannot go wrong living in Dallas. I mean, got some of the best food, steaks you've ever eaten in your life. Love that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Completely different lifestyle than a southern lifestyle. When you say, oh, you're from the south and people from Texas, they go, no, no, I'm from Texas. It's different. You know, they have a – it's a yeah. totally oh, yeah. different mindset out there living in that, living in Texas than it is living in the south. I'm like, you from the south? No, mm-hmm. man, I'm from Texas. It's like, oh, it's different yeah. out there, man. So Dallas was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Um even Cleveland, you know, people people not Cleveland, but Cleveland is like Cleveland is like uh 
they're like Georgia and Athens, or they're like Alabama and Tuscaloosa. The fans love the players, man. They love the program. They love the team. You know, they eat, sleep. They're diehard Browns fans. Like, got to give a shout out to Cleveland. Absolutely love living there. I actually became great friends with like locals, guys who were like, it grew up there the whole lives. So I have like great friends that still live there. You know, most of the time you move to a city and just hang out with the guys you play with. But, um, but yeah, I gotta say, I gotta say between. Dallas, Cleveland, believe it or not, and uh, in New York were, were some of my favorite cities that I played in. All, all for very different reasons, but um, you know, yeah, a lot of fun. I miss it, man. I miss the, I miss the camaraderie, man. I think that's the thing I miss the most about playing is just being in the locker room with the guys, you know. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, that's a difficult thing for a lot of guys that retire. I mean, or you know, it, you, you go from being heavily structured to the camaraderie atmosphere and the, and, and the team oh, yeah. atmosphere. Now about, you're just kind of that for days, you know, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't like uh, an all-star guy and I wasn't a pro bowl guy. I was always like kind of the sixth man on the whole line, you know, the swing guard center guy who just always was there, you know, usually got released after camp, but then got claimed from someone else and went through a whole season and then got claimed and then went through a whole season, got claimed. So that was, that was kind of my career. So I can definitely speak on any time it'd probably be longer than this podcast about transition from football into the real world, man. It's just, it's totally different. I thought I was prepared. I totally was not. Uh, same though, same transition though, when you transfer from, from college to NFL, there definitely is. Um, it, it definitely, you gotta, you gotta wake up real quick. You gotta learn how to be a pro. I'm sure you've heard people say that a ton from NFL guys, mm-hmm. just learn how to be a pro. And that means no one's there to hold your hand. Right in college, man, you got got you got trainers, you got coaches, you got people who are there to kind of like, you know, walk you through things, get you on your feet, making sure you're taken care of. And the pros, man, you're competing against you're you're, you're constantly competing against for someone else to come in and take your job. You got to handle your body. Your body is your business. Your, it's your it's your life. You know, you got to make sure you're staying up to date with your plays. Um, always got to be watching film if, if you're not someone's going to be in there you know grading you so eyes are always on you at all times so learning how to be a pro really just means growing your ass up from being a 22 year old where someone maybe patted you on the ass and held your hand your whole life to like dude you're on your own you either make it or there's guys waiting in line to, to be in your shoes so it, that, that's a real wake-up call and then the transition out of football you know, that's another thing where you spend five years or however many years you play in the NFL versus your guys who graduate college have now spent five years in their with their company and who are graduating into managerial positions, you know, presidents or whoever it might be. To now you're a guy who has five years of NFL experience, but you have zero professional work experience. So you're kind of starting as an entry level position. And that's a tough pill to swallow for guys who are, you know, at an elite position, top of their game, you know, as you transition to the professional world. It doesn't, those skills don't really apply. Like everyone in those roles has, has great time management. Everyone in those positions has, you know, great team building skills. Like those are all great. And those are all fantastic, fantastic, uh, you know, things that you learn from playing football, but, uh, but, you know, job experience and, and, uh, and that sort of thing only comes with being on the job. And unfortunately, while you're playing and sacrificing all of that time, playing football, your homies and your buddies that you played with that didn't go to the NFL mm-hmm. are now have been with these companies for five years and are now going into managerial positions and you're 28, 29, like I was, and you're starting at the bottom. So that is a whole, whole nother discussion, <laughs> unless you go into coaching. And even then yeah. I tried that and I thought if, Hey, maybe I could go into coaching and I could be at the top of my game. Like I was in the NFL. Nope. You're going to be an entry level intern. You might get a GA role. You might get an analyst role. And you got to spend the next four or five years at the bottom before you even think about getting, you know, a, a, a coaching, like a position coach or a coordinator position. So it's crazy, man. People don't think about that. I damn sure didn't yeah. think about that when I was transitioning. I thought it was going to yeah. be a breeze. But anyone who's uh, people question that and come talk to me about it, I'll, I'll talk to you about it for, for hours. Oh, yeah. And that's a that's a good episode for for the uh, football off season uh, that we can uh, all get together with and just talk about life after football. Yeah. And uh, so let's circle back. In the meantime, let's circle back to to uh, to Jim Harbaugh. And uh, you know we know we know what it we know what he's like. We know the success that he can bring. 
Um, and we know that the NFL and college are like apples and oranges just mm-hmm. about. So what do you think? And we, we talk, we've talked about this ad nauseum, uh, you know, Matt and I on the illegal motion pod. And then, uh, you know, I've talked about it on the various, uh, on, on the other podcasts that I'm involved with, uh, with Israel. And, um, I've got one with, with Kurt page, Vandy alum, uh, called coaching chatter. Um, that we talk about, you know, all this stuff. And we have, a, I feel like we have a weekly Jim Harbaugh sec, uh, segment. And, uh, you know, to me, and, and you, you know him uh, personally, so you, you could probably speak to this. But to me, I feel like he's got one, you know, he's had one foot out the door for the last year and a half um, at Michigan. Uh, I think he's always got his eye peaked to the NFL. I feel like he's more of an NFL guy than he is a college guy. Um, and it just kind of seems like this whole recruiting thing is just kind of completely exhausted him um to the point of where he is just tapped out what what are your thoughts on jim harbaugh what you know what what's going what's gone wrong at michigan for him uh why is it why is it such a tumultuous uh go lately yeah those are uh some interesting points um yeah knowing him you know knowing him on a personal level i think just the world of him so um it's tough for me to criticize a guy i obviously have so much you know respect for and no matter what, I'll, I think he's an absolute great coach. Um, to, to a few of those points, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think maybe some of the recruiting aspect definitely has has weighed a little bit on Coach Harbaugh. He's a type of guy that loves to have complete control of his surroundings and what's going around going around him. <clears throat> From a college perspective, there's a lot of variables in that that he can't control. Right, you know, losing recruits. Losing yeah. recruits versus, hey, you get a draft every year, you get to pick who comes there, you know, right? Versus kind of recruiting guys, you send out 30, 40, you know, 30, 40 offers and you might get 18 or 20 guys to accept. So um, there's definitely that aspect of it. Coach Harbaugh loves to have complete control of his program. I also saw a few things where, you know, maybe perhaps he's not giving some of these assistants or some of these coordinators a little bit more flexibility or have a bigger role, I guess you could say, in the program. He, uh, like I said, I keep kind of hitting, you know, being a dead horse here, but he is the type of guy that is, it's his way or the highway, I feel like, right? So, um, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's definitely had some struggles there in Michigan the last few years. I think he definitely has had his eyes back on the NFL. I think he definitely wants to get back in. Kind of blew my mind there when he did leave San Francisco at such a high note, although I know exactly what happened with him and Trent Belke, the former GM there. Owners sided with the GM instead of Harbaugh when they should have sided with with Harbaugh but anyways um you know I, I wish him nothing but the best in success unfortunately the the Big Ten is a no effing around conference I guess you could say Matt and I talk about mm-hmm. this week in and week out dude the Big Ten pound for pound is no joke I mean it is no, no it's not joke <laughs> and so you know you talk about being in a situation kind of like Mark Rick was in years ago I mean even though this guy's winning eight ten games a year it's still, you know, it's still just, uh, you know, I feel bad for Coach Rick. I mean, the guy won 10 games for how many years? Like five years in a row, and he still got the boot. Coach Rick was burnt out, though. I mean, he, he needed to he needed to go because I, I think he was going to – his health was deteriorating. Yeah. I mean, he would, you could just tell, look, just looking at Mark Rick's face, he was just exhausted. So, but, yeah, I mean, and that's, that's the exact feeling. You hit the nail on the head with that. That's the exact feeling I get with Jim yeah, Harbaugh. Now, um, now here, here's a name uh, circling back around, and this will be uh, before before we wrap. Uh, this will be the last thing we uh, last thing I ask you guys. I'll start with you, Matt. Um, Josh Gaddis uh, is is a guy that I, I think he's he knows the Vanderbilt program. He knows Nashville. He knows the area. He's an up and coming coordinator. Things aren't quite going his way right now, but I think that could just be more of the controlling nature of that Jim Harbaugh has said at Michigan and, and the fact that it just seems to be a dead program walking right now uh, with, with all that going on. So if Andy were to hire J- Josh Gaddis, what would your thoughts be? I'll start with you, Matt. Um, I think Josh Gaddis would be okay. Uh, uh, you worry about two things. A, he's a coordinator. He hasn't had to handle the whole role of being a head coach yet. And kind of petering out this season offensively. Honestly, I expected Michigan to look a lot better. They've looked better with Kate McNamara than they had than they were with Joe Milton. Uh, you know, I think he does have some assets. Obviously, he has experience at Vanderbilt. He seems to be a very a, a very solid recruiter. 
I don't know. I like I said, I think I want someone who has head coaching experience, though, okay. because they know really holistically what needs to happen here at Vanderbilt. So I think I think he'd be OK as far as coordinators go. He'd probably be my one of my top choices of people who have never been higher than coordinator. But I, I he would not be my first choice. OK, Ryan. Well, now, you know, Josh, yeah. from, See, again, from so also. again, knowing Josh personally and not knowing these other, you know, you know, obviously we've been speculating about all these different coaches who we think could, could be a possible choice, not knowing them. Um, man, I'd give Josh Gaddis, I'd give him a shot any day of the week. Right. And at this point, it's a guessing game. Obviously, we can look at everyone's history and kind of gauge to see if it's going to be. You know, if there's success elsewhere, it's going to apply to a school like Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt is like, is a total, it's a total crapshoot, man, because you really, uh, you know, you really don't know how a coach is going to adjust coming into a school like Vanderbilt. You know, maybe one of these other guys who have had success at some of these other schools. I'm telling you, Vanderbilt is the exception. It, it really is. And the reason why I think Gaz would be a good fit, I, well, I do think he'd be a good fit. Um, you know, he has been there before. Like you mentioned, he has been in this program. He knows the city. He knows he could almost copycat the same formula that Franklin had at Vanderbilt, maybe tweak it a little bit and make it better. I think he's only gotten, he's only gotten more prestigious. He's only gotten better as a coach. He was still very young in his coaching career at Vanderbilt, you know, being retired from Jacksonville only a few years before that. Um, and so I think he'd be a great fit. I really would love to see Gaddis come back to Vandy. I mean, obviously, it wouldn't hurt, you know, knowing somebody to get in the facility anytime I wanted. But, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, no, I think he could bring a lot of positivity to the program. I think he's been in those shoes before, or not shoes before, but he's been with the program before. He knows what aspect of it, you know, needs to change, how we can get us back on the course that we were when we left off with with Franklin. Um, and I think he's proven himself well at Penn State. He, Obviously, he's with a tough program right now at UM, but I think, you know, from a personality standpoint um, as well, I think he is would be a great recruiter. He could pretty much go into any, you know, any home in, in America and relate somehow to those to those kids. Uh, he produced outstanding receivers at his career when he was at Vanderbilt. A few names that maybe the Bulldogs may not be familiar with, but Jordan Matthews, um, Chris Boyd, um, uh, uh uh, Jonathan Krause. Um, I mean, there was some absolute great receivers to come out of Vanderbilt under under the uh, under coaching of, of Josh Gaddis. So seeing what he did for those three guys, um, I don't see why he couldn't do that same thing for, for a program and, uh, and turn it around, man. So my answer to your question would be, I absolutely believe Gaddis would be a great fit. Anyone else at this point, you really don't know how they're going to be affected by a team like Vanderbilt just because they're the outlier, man. It's just, it's just a totally different, you can't compare them to anything else. No, you can't. And, and that's uh, that's the whole thing. And you just got to figure out who you think would be the best fit for your situation, uh, no matter what the history is. So you could, you know, pros, cons, all that stuff. You can pro con yourself to death. Um, you just got to find who you feel is the right fit. And, and, you know, I think Gaddis could be a good fit. I think Napier would be a good fit. I think Chadwell would be a great yeah. fit. I think Sarkeesian would be a great fit if he would take it. I, I think there's a lot of people that would, that would there's fit. There's a good well. pool out there. You just got to figure out a good pool of coaching better than there was in, in 13 or 13 or 14 when, when Franklin left. Yeah. And so you just got to figure out what works best for your program. Uh, not what works best for the headlines of the national media. So, uh, Ryan, Matt, it was great to have you guys on. Um, if you have not already, please check these guys out, Believe in Vanderbilt podcast. Check out Matt on the Believe in Badgers podcast. Check us out on the Illegal Motion College Football podcast. And, of course, check myself and uh, former uh, Vanderbilt alum Kurt Page, who still was the last quarterback at Vanity to beat Alabama. Um, and uh, we also uh, have Craig Ladd joining us as well. So, um, again, this is the Believe in Dogs podcast, uh, Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast. You can find us at Believe in Dogs on all social media platforms. Please rate, subscri- uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Give us, uh, give us some feedback. And uh, 
hit these guys up too. Give them some feedback. I Man, we had a you know we had a great discussion, and you know I look forward to uh, having continued discussions over just any topics uh, d- during during the course of the off season. I know there's going to be plenty to talk about with coaching changes and things like that. Uh, I want to really uh, dig deeper into your NFL career as well, uh, and, and just talk a bunch of nuances with that. So I look forward to, to touching base with you two uh, more often. And uh, so with that being said, for uh, for Ryan Seymour, for Matt Perkins and Israel Troop, I'm Corey Burton. This is the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast. I want to wish you guys a great weekend. Be safe. And as always, go dogs. Thanks, Corey. Anchor down. <laughs> there it is. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.